Well, good morning, everybody. Like DJ mentioned, my name is Colin. Um, I co-lead United, our young adult ministry here. We've never had the chance to meet before. And I also oversee life groups here at this campus. So uh, if you want to get connected to either of those things, uh, I'd love to help you do that. Um, you can talk to me after the service, and, I, and I'd love to help you get connected to those in those ways. But today, super excited to continue our series that we've been in for the past couple weeks that we've been calling Motives. And so in this series, we've been in the middle part of one of Jesus's most famous sermons, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And as you guys can tell by the name of this series, in this part of Jesus's teaching, he begins to address our internal motivations. And so Jesus is going to say things like that uh, what is going on in ex- externally in our lives is not the thing that he actually cares about most, but he cares far more about uh, the internal motivations that lead us to do the seemingly good things that we do. Jesus' goal is always to kind of get under the surface and to examine what's going on underneath that drives us to live the way that we live. And so Jesus takes that principle and this teaching and he applies it to things like giving, things like prayer and fasting. Last week, we actually looked at what is going on internally as we experience anxiety and worry in our lives. And then the next place Jesus is going to go is what is going on internally as we view other people. And so that's going to be found in Matthew 7, 1 through 6 today. So if you guys can go ahead and flip there in your Bibles. If you didn't bring a Bible, that's actually going to be on page 788 that are in the Bibles in the seats in front of you guys. And so basically, in this passage, Jesus is going to talk about what does it mean to judge other people, and how do we do that, right? Which might seem kind of like a weird transition from where Jesus just was, but I think when we consider like the entirety of the Sermon on the Mount, it actually makes a lot of sense, because one of Jesus' goals in the, Sermon on the, in the Sermon on the Mount was to address the way, basically, the religious professionals or the Pharisees, to address the way that they understood God's law. See, these guys were teachers of God's law. They had the truth of God's word, and rightly so, they felt the need to share it with others, to teach it with others, so they could live according to it, which is good. But they did it in a way that made them look really awesome and made others look not as good, right? And so what they would do is they would uh, emphasize the parts of the law that they were doing really well at, and they would minimize or ignore the parts of the law that they weren't really following as well. On top of that, the Pharisees had these traditions about what it meant uh, to obey the law, and they would look down on other people who weren't following their man-made rules. So as many uh, many of you guys know, if you are familiar with the Bible, Uh, The Pharisees were quite frequently called out for being hypocritical and being judgmental towards others. And so certainly Jesus' teaching here, it would have addressed and kind of exposed some of the hypocrisy and the judgmental attitudes the Pharisees had. But Jesus doesn't just teach this to expose their hypocrisy, because Jesus knows that hypocrisy and and judging others in, in this judgmental way, that's pretty natural for pretty much everybody. Right, that we all sort of struggle with this. You know, I was thinking about in my own life, I know I've uh, shared this before, but when I got married, all of a sudden it exposed all sorts of character flaws in my life. And so one of these things was like when I got married, all of a sudden I had these, basically these unspoken rules and expectations to view and judge my wife by. 
And Emily, my wife, she'll point out to me that oftentimes I think that these rules only apply to her and not me. And most of these rules, they have to do with sharing food. I don't, know, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is about sharing food, but it's hard for me. It's really hard. I don't know if it's a control thing. And specifically, it's ice cream. I really, I just really love ice cream. I just love it. And so it's, very, it's real hard for me to share this. So if I'm eating ice cream and Emily wants some and she asks for some, she asks me to share it, there's like a low level of anxiety that kind of creeps into my heart. And I just, and so, you know, I'll be like, okay, we could do that. Or you could get your own. And that, that could be a good decision too. And that's, that's actually what we did here, right? And so, but at the same time, if Emily has ice cream and I don't, which rarely happens, but if it does, and I ask for some, and she says no, well, I assume that's because she's selfish and doesn't love me enough or something, right? <laughs> which is ridiculous and messed up, and I know, and I'm, Jesus is working on me and exposing all sorts of things in my life. But man, this, this can't be just me, right? Like, we all have these sorts of unspoken rules and expectations that we view other people by. And not only that, I think that if, if we were to follow you guys around with a microphone and record everything you said someone else should or should not do, and then apply that standard to your own life, I don't think any of us would do very well, right? And you know, that's, that's kind of funny when it involves things like food or ice cream, uh, but it's not as funny, it's a little more serious when it involves things that we deeply value or care about. I mean, that's especially true when we view people in light of a moral standard, like Jesus is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount and elsewhere in the Bible. Actually, it's interesting, uh, the Barna Research Group and the Pew Research Forum, they did one of the largest studies of non-Christians a couple years ago. And so what they did is they gathered tens of thousands of people who self-identified as not being followers of Jesus. And this is one of the questions they asked them. They put a bunch of words in front of them, and they said, what are the top three words that best describe the Christians that you know? Can you guys guess what the top three words were? You know, what would you guys, how would you guys maybe uh, describe the Christians that you know? Think about that for a second. Well, here was the results. Number one, judgmental. Number two, hypocritical. And number three, anti-gay. There you go. There's the most popular perception of followers of Jesus by non-Christians. You know, it's no wonder that our passage that starts out, do not judge, uh, it's probably one of the most quoted passages by non-Christians to followers of Jesus in today's day and age, right? And you know, I, I, I hope that this represents a select few of Christians and not the majority, but I'm sure for some of us, even in our own experiences with other followers of Jesus, we might even describe them this way at times. You know, maybe it's this perception of followers of Jesus that makes us pretty nervous at times to admit that we are one. Or maybe it makes us nervous to share our faith or share the good news about Jesus with other people. Maybe it's the fear of coming across as judgmental that even makes us want to compromise the truth of the Bible as we teach it and share it with others in our lives. And so what some of us will do is we'll overcorrect, right? And we'll never speak the truth of God's word into anybody's life, and we'll never share our faith. But of course, that's not what Jesus wants for us. 
right? Jesus wants more for us than that. And so that's where this passage is going to come in today. It's going to teach us what it means to judge others in a right way. And so here it is. Here's the passage. Jesus says, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. So there you have it. There's Jesus' teaching on what it means to judge others. But if you guys notice, the way he starts his teaching on judging others is by saying, do not judge. Don't judge. Well, what could that mean, right? Well, the, the word judge, it, like many words, it has a wide range of meanings, but the most basic definition is basically to determine whether something is right or wrong. Like it's an evaluation of whether something is correct. You know, we judge many things in many different ways. We can make moral judgments or legal judgments. Um, you know, actually, just last week, I uh, misjudged how tight my dress pants were at a wedding. Absolutely ripped those things. Not, not good. I actually took them into the store that I got them from, and their exact words was, that's a serious blowout. <laughs> like, those things are dead and not coming back, right? And so we judge and we misjudge things all the time, right? We're constantly making judgment calls in our lives. Uh, so, so what is Jesus saying here? Uh, what does it mean when he says, do not judge? Like, is our culture, right, when it quotes this verse, meaning that we should never apply moral judgment to anybody's actions? Or in other words, it, when Jesus says, do not judge, does that mean that everybody has the right to determine what's right and wrong for themselves? Is that what Jesus is saying here? Well, if you guys have been with us through the Sermon on the Mount, uh, you know that can't be the case, right? Jesus clearly wants us to apply judgment to our actions because he's been laying out a moral standard since the beginning of his teaching here. You know, in this, in this sermon, Jesus is going to say things like, you shall not murder. Like, killing people and hating people is wrong. He's going to say things like, but I tell you, love your enemies. Loving your enemies is right. It's good, according to Jesus. And so clearly, Jesus wants us to judge our own actions by the standard that he lays out and in light of his teaching here in the Sermon on the Mount. And actually, you don't even have to leave chapter 7 to know that Jesus calls us actually to judge others as well. Just a few verses later, this is what Jesus says. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Recognizing the fruit of these false prophets, that would involve some sort of judgment or evaluation of what they're teaching and how they're living their lives. So how do we make sense of all this? When do we judge and when do we not judge? Well, Jesus' statement, do not judge, it has to be understood in light of all that Jesus teaches on this passage, 
along with keeping in, in mind how Jesus actually lived his life and viewed other people and how other authors of the Bible interpreted Jesus' teaching here. And I think that when we consider all those things, when we keep those things in mind, we're going to see that Jesus actually doesn't have an issue with judging others. In fact, he calls us to do it. But his issue is with the way that we tend to view and judge other people. And so in this passage, Jesus is going to give us two different pictures to kind of expose that and to teach us uh, how to view and judge other people correctly. And so that first picture is going to come to us in the rest of verses 1 and 2. Here it is. Jesus says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So Jesus says that when we judge others, we have this tendency to do it as if we ourselves sit outside of God's judgment. That we view other people as if we ourselves one day will not be judged. So Jesus reminds us, you too will be judged. Our own actions will also be measured by a standard. Actually, the Apostle Paul, who wrote the book of Romans, he says something very similar to this. In Romans, he asks us, you then, why do you judge your brother or sister, or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. Paul asks us, why are we viewing other people in a way as if one day every single one of us won't stand before God, the God of the universe ourselves in judgment? He says, we're on the wrong side of the courtroom. This first picture that Jesus and Paul give us is this picture of viewing others as if we ourselves are the ultimate judge. And Paul says that when we do that, we have this tendency to view and treat others with contempt. And that word there, it's actually pretty interesting. In other places in the Bible, it's rendered to look down upon which I think is a very accurate picture of what happens when we view others this way, when we view others as if we are the judge, right? It's like instead of sitting under God's judgment ourselves, we elevate ourselves right next to Jesus, and we too are looking down on others. It's like all of a sudden we see ourselves as the judge, and we convince ourselves that Jesus agrees with us in our view and our judgment of others. Like, Jesus, man, can you, can you believe what these people are doing? Like, can you believe what these sinners are doing? But that's not the right picture, right? We can't have that picture in our mind as we view other people because that's not accurate. You know, when we view people that way, it's really easy to view them with the truth in mind, sure. But it's a lot harder to view them in a gracious way. And you know, Jesus, Jesus was described as being full of truth and full of grace. Jesus never compromised what the truth was, but he often interacted with people in a loving and compassionate way. So the question is, how do we view people that way? Like, how do we view people in a way that is both full of truth and full of grace? How do we not compromise the truth of the Bible but at the same time, treat other people in a loving and compassionate way. Well, that's where this next picture that Jesus is going to give us, that's where this, uh, this, is, that's where this happens. We need to keep this next picture in mind. So this is what Jesus says in verses 3 and 4. 
He says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? So Jesus gives us kind of like a pretty funny illustration. It's this pretty ridiculous picture of like this dude with a two by four in his eye trying to get a little splinter out of somebody else's eye. Right? It's, it's actually kind of funny. And um, it's a pretty famous illustration too. Actually, a lot of people are familiar with it. If, if you Google this passage here, this idea of the plank and the speck, there's some pictures that come up. And I really like this one. This lady has a whole entire tree in her eye. You've got a bird's nest up there. And then apparently the Lego world wanted to get in on Jesus' teaching too, which is cool. So the question is like, why would Jesus want us to have this picture in our mind as we view other people? Like what's going on here? Well, I think there's plenty of implications of what this illustration uh, means and says. But I think there's two really important ones that we need to keep in mind. I really like the way uh, biblical scholar Tim Mackey says it. He says this, when we see this illustration, it means that we need to recognize our ignorance towards our own sin and our arrogance towards the sin of others. That this illustration of the speck and the plank, it means that it reminds us that we're oftentimes we ignore our own sin. And then when we view other people's sins, we do it in an arrogant way. So first, we ignore our own sin in our life and the effect that it has on us, right? We're often ignorant to that. That all of us have sin in our life and the Bible's clear that sin affects us. It does something to us and it changes the way we view other people. Now think about this illustration for a second. In order to get a tiny little piece of wood out of somebody's eye, you would have to see it pretty clearly, right? Well, what's the, what's the issue with that? That would be hard to do with a plank or a tree in your own eye, right? That would certainly blur your vision. I think Jesus is saying is that we like to think that we view people from a purely objective way, as if we can see the situation perfectly clear. But in reality, we all have sin in our life, and because of that sin, it, it affects us. We have all sorts of blind spots and biases as we view other people. You know, I think that's why instead of judging people based on God's law, we're more inclined to judge on whether or not we like that person, whether or not we get along with them. I think that when we ignore the sin in our own lives and the effects it has on us, I think it's really easy to make superficial and surface-level judgments that we can judge people by what they wear or what they say or some of their actions and jump very quickly to conclusions about who they are. Like it's really easy to condemn people when we can't see the whole picture. And Jesus is reminding us that we cannot be ignorant of that. I think what Jesus is saying is that before we judge other people, we need to ask ourselves, and are we seeing this clearly? Or has the sin in our own life, has it blurred our vision? We cannot be ignorant to our own sin. But second, we can't be arrogant towards the sin of others because we often are. You know, notice what Jesus didn't say in this passage. He didn't say that each person had a speck in their eye as if we're supposed to view everybody's sin as equal. 
No, one person had a speck, and the other person had a plank, a beam, maybe a tree, right? I think Jesus is asking us, well, which one are we? You know, for me, it's very easy to assume that I'm the one with a speck in my eye. I go there so easily. Jesus is saying is that we tend to maximize the sin in others and minimize our own sin. Like, yeah, I have, I have some problems, but it's not that bad, right? Like, I, I have some sin in my life, but it's nothing like those people over there. You know, I've been thinking about the, the past couple months as we've been in the Sermon on the Mount and kind of been going through Jesus' teaching and stuff. And it's, I mean, Jesus lays out some very challenging stuff in this teaching. And I know for, for me, and probably just like some of you guys, in some of the weeks of Jesus' teaching, man, it's been convicting. Like, it's really challenged the way that I live my life. But at the same time, <laughs> I know that there's been certain messages where, which, in which we heard, and the first thing we thought was, you know who needs to hear that? My spouse. My boss. Man, my brother or sister, they really needed that message. Man, that one friend, they really struggle with that thing. Man, why do we so easily do that? Why do, why do we go there so quickly? Why is it so easy to see the sin in other people's lives, but ignore it in our own life? I mean, why do we hunger and thirst for righteousness in the lives of other people, but we have a small appetite for it in our own lives? How come? Why does that happen? You know, I think this illustration, I think it forces us to ask some questions. Like when we study the Bible, are we becoming more judgmental or more humble? Man, whose sin is it that we see most clearly? Whose sin is right in front of our faces all the time? Or whose sin offends us the most? Whose sin are we most angry about and most concerned about? Because if I'm the guy with the speck, Man, it's really easy for me to judge others. But if I assume that I'm the guy with the plank, how different would I answer these questions? And Jesus is asking us, which one do we assume that we are? And the right picture we need to view others by is assuming that we are the ones with the plank in our eyes. And Jesus wants us to start there, but we can't stop there, of course. Because if we are the one with the plank in our eyes, well, what should we do? Do we just continue to walk around with a two-by-four in our eyes, blind? Do we never say anything to anybody because we cannot see clearly? Do we take Jesus' words literally and do not judge? Well, no. But I think if you're feeling that way, if you're sensing that or feeling a hesitancy to judge other people, I think you're beginning to see the brilliance of Jesus' teaching here. Because what Jesus is saying is that before we go and judge others, we need to take a very close and serious look at our own lives. And that's actually where Jesus goes next. He says, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Jesus' goal is not that we would never judge at all, but that we would judge with clear vision. 
that we could do it in a loving and compassionate and helpful way. But in order to do that, we need to get the plank out of our eye. We need to begin to see things clearly. But again, that presents another problem. Because how are we supposed to get this plank out of our eye? I mean, how are we even supposed to begin to see clearly if, see clearly if sin compromises our vision? How are we supposed to deal with the sin in our lives? Man, again, Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, it has been convicting. It has been challenging. And oftentimes, I feel hopeless to ever deal with the sin in my life the way that Jesus has called me to. The Bible's going to say things like we are spiritually blind, that our spiritual condition is we cannot see. And, And the truth is there is nothing that we can do by our own effort and energy on our own to completely remove the plank, to begin to even see clearly. But the good news is, man, Jesus can. Jesus can. Jesus came to remove the plank. Jesus came to begin to to give us clear vision and clear sight. Jesus himself said this, For judgment I came into this world, so that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. Guys, Jesus is the true judge of the world. He is the only one who is qualified to judge us. He has perfect vision, and he is the only one. He sees every single one of us in our sin, And he is most justified in being offended and and angered at our sin. But Jesus did not come to condemn us in our sin. Jesus came to die for it. To take it on himself to go to the cross. to, To face the judgment of God in our place. And Jesus died, but he rose again. And he sent his Holy Spirit to heal us, to free us, and to help us see. And man, it is only when we cry out to Jesus in our blindness that he will give us sight. If we admit that we cannot see, he will help us see. And the result of that is we're going to see our sin more clearly than we ever have before, our own sin. But at the same time, we're going to see God's grace and his love for us with whole new eyes, with whole new vision. And so we can turn and follow Jesus. And instead of living lives that are prideful and judgmental of others, we can live loving and compassionate ones. We too can begin to view other people in a way that is full of truth and full of grace. Man, instead of condemning others in their sin, we can weep over it like Jesus did and help them. Man, as we begin to live that way, others are actually able to see the love of God. They're actually able to see Jesus in a whole new way. And that's what people need most. That's what people who don't know God need most. And that's actually where Jesus goes next in his teaching. He gives us this weird little parable about pigs and dogs. And it's weird. 
He says, do not give dogs what is sacred, and do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Just this odd little teaching. You know, there's a wide range of interpretations of what kind of Jesus' main point is here, but most commentators agree that he's talking about the way that we interact with those who don't know God, with non-Christians. Here's the idea. Pigs and dogs, they're really only concerned with one thing. They have one thing on their mind, and it's food. And I can relate with that. I understand that. For those of you guys who have dogs, right, what's the best way to get your dog's attention? It's to offer them a treat, offer them something to eat. If you gave your dog pearls, they would have no idea what to do with it, right? Because they have no need or interest or desire for pearls. And if they were hungry and wild enough, they might even turn and attack you, like Jesus says. Jesus' point is this. He knows that there is people in our lives that have no desire, have no interest, or they think that they don't need spiritual things. And Jesus is asking us, how do we interact with those people? Man, do we shout the truth at them? Do we force the truth upon them? Force our timeline of them changing on them? Or do we trust God with that? Do we view them like God viewed us, patient and loving? And, you know, this can't mean that we never share the gospel with those who don't know Jesus. Because think about Jesus' life. I mean, Jesus spent more time with the outcasts than he did with the religious people. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. He came for the blind. And he sent his church on that same mission. Man, but Jesus never interacted with two people in the exact same way. He never compromised what the truth was, but he always met people where they were at. And even when he confronted them, he did it in a loving way. It was out of his love for them. Because Jesus' goal was always the same. His goal was that they would see their sin so that they could see God's grace and his love for them and that they would turn and follow Jesus and turn to this new life with him. And man, Jesus is inviting us to view others and to view those who don't know him yet in that exact same way. So as I invite the band up, I actually want to speak to those of you in this room who might be in that category, who might be investigating Jesus. And first off, I just want to say thank you for being here. Like, thank you for letting us be a part of that investigation. And second, I want to say I'm sorry. Like, I'm sorry for the ways that we have been judgmental and hypocritical and not loving and compassionate like Jesus is. And the truth is, we all have planks in our eyes. Following Jesus does not mean we have it all figured out. Following Jesus begins with admitting that we're blind. But the truth is, man, Jesus is the only one who has the power to give us sight. He's the only one. He's the only one who can change prideful, judgmental people into loving, compassionate ones. And so his invitation to you is, would you cry out to him in your blindness 
so he can give you sight, so he can let you see your sin and your need for him, and you can see his love and grace and follow him. And man, we want to help you do that. We want to help you with that. And that actually leads me to this next thing, which is for everybody. Because it is true that Jesus is the only one who can give a sight. But if you notice from this passage, that happens in the context of relationships. That some of us might be thinking, man, if I need to see others perfectly clear to judge them, well, I just won't ever judge. But the reality is we actually need each other to see Because when judging is done in this good, loving, compassionate way, it's a really good thing. The Bible calls that speaking the truth in love. And it's actually a part of us growing, that we need relationships like this where this can happen. You know, that's why here at Grace, we're so fired up about things like disciple-making and things like life group. A disciple-making relationship is one where this kind of redemptive judging can happen. It's where you give access of your life to somebody else for them to speak the truth and love into it. And man, so maybe there's somebody in your life who has a speck in their eye, and maybe you need to help them with that. Maybe you need to commit to help making them a true disciple of Jesus and growing in that. Or maybe there's someone you just need to help to see Jesus for the first time ever. I encourage you guys, would you commit to that? Would you partner with Jesus in that? And you know, life groups, life groups are our expression of biblical community. Life groups are not filled with a bunch of people who haven't figured it out. They're filled with people who have planks in their eyes. But we've admitted to one another that we need each other to see that we need each other to follow Jesus. And so we need each other. We need deep, meaningful relationships where this kind of redemptive judging can happen if we're serious about growing to become more and more like Jesus. And so my invitation to you is join a life group. Join and commit to a community to follow Jesus together in. Man, let's all do that together. Well, I'm going to pray. Lord Jesus, uh, God, thank you that you are uh, the judge, Lord. That we don't have to judge others, God. We don't have to stand in your place, God. Because you are the true king of the universe, and you are the true judge. And Lord, thank you that you do not look at our sin with condemnation, Lord, but you came to save us. God, you came down to die for us and to rise again to make us like you, Lord. To give us a true vision of how to view others and love other people, God, so we can move into their lives, Lord, with love and grace in our hearts and truth. God, that we could help this world that desperately needs to know you and to see your love, God, that you want to partner with us to do that. And so, God, we're asking you, would you help us? God, would you help us see? Lord, we need you. We need you for this. And we want to see others know you, Lord. We want to see your kingdom continue to move forward. And Lord, so make us a people like you, Jesus. We need you so desperately for that, God. And thank you for your insane love for us. We love you, Lord. And we pray all this in your name. Amen.